This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. It's my great pleasure to welcome Reverend Daigon to, uh, back to Austin Zen Center. I think the last time Daigon was here was maybe five, maybe five years ago. You were here, you and I co-led a workshop here. Um, Daigon is a priest in the San Francisco Zen Center lineage. He's, his teacher is Paul Haller, who's the same teacher as both Tim Kroll and myself. And uh, Daigon has been an active community leader and participant in the Zen school for a long time. But 2003. Before that, was practicing in other, other traditions. He's one of the uh, founding members of Queer Dharma at San Francisco Zen Center. And he was uh, the caretaker, the primary caretaker of our founder, Blanche Hartman, uh, during the many years, last, many, five years. last five years of her life. Um, so we're very happy to have Diagon here and um, look forward to the teaching. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I grew up in Corpus, and uh, I come back, and I'm always like surprised at how hot it is here. <laughs> um, I lived in California for a long, long time, and before that, it was Seattle. So I'm not used to the heat again. Um, but I really love coming here. I really love being here with you all. Your practice is deep and rich and uh, and I hope that you are really proud of what you guys do here because it's uh, I travel a lot and it's really rich here and I'm really grateful to share with you uh, this practice (sighs) so today I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, embodiment Um, which is a topic, so I've spent about three years sort of really deep diving into what this actually means. Uh, So we won't cover a whole lot of it today. Uh, We'll cover more at the workshop. Uh, But I think that, um, at least for me, um, both as a chaplain, I I work uh, in hospice a lot, and um, so both as a chaplain and as a practitioner, when I look at what at the core, like, you know, I get asked a lot, like, what, well, what's practice? What, is you, what do you mean by practice? What, do you, what is your practice? Because I hang out with a lot of non-Buddhist people. Um, and, you know, for me, the short elevator pitch is embodiment. And we practice how to live in this body. And embodiment isn't just the physicality, but it's also uh, our sort of mind at work, our emotions at work, and also our relationship to time. Uh, Dogen Zenji, the founder of Soto Zen Buddhism, says that we're not just being, but we are being time. We're both being and time. Which, you know, the first time I heard it, I was like, what the hell does that mean? I thought it was more sort of, uh, I want to be a big, important Zen teacher, so I'm going to say really confusing things and make myself sound big. Um, But really, what it comes down to is, is... When we are right here in this moment, what comes with us is all of the history. You know, we often talk about bringing our ancestors and or that we're the ancestors of tomorrow. Well, we're also the we also bring with us all of the teachings from all of those centuries back into this present moment. I'm a white male, um, sometimes mistaken as straight, and, um, and, and so with that comes a history, right? 
There's a way in which I'm socialized that I was brought up that has a weight and a history. Our families give us history. And so when I come into this moment and I meet you, I come into this moment with all of that history. But then I also come into that moment with all of my future, right? Like how I want to be in the world and how I want to see the world and how I want to make the world. All of those sort of ways that we want to, to really bring forth healing and harmony and equality and equanimity and we want people to feel safe and nurtured and important. So when I, when I come into this present moment, I'm not just bringing my body. I'm not just bringing my mind, but I'm also bringing the past, present, and future. Right? And that's actually kind of easy to understand because when you realize that karma... We, the only thing we really own is our activity, right? We own our actions. That's it. And so, and, and how we create karma is, you know, our response in this moment creates the next moment, right? So if, I li- if I'm acting like an asshole now, the likelihood is I'm going to be an asshole in a minute. Or if I'm cranky now, the likelihood is I'm going to be cranky in a minute unless I do something or have some experience that changes my moment, right? Like I go, oh wait, I'm a priest, I'm supposed to be a really nice guy, so I maybe won't say that next thing. Or, oh, this is somebody I love, maybe I won't fight with them anymore, maybe I'll just calm down for a second and try to meet them in a different way. So time, time is a really important part of what it means to be embodied. And it's often the piece that we skip out on, right? Um, one of my favorite teachers, her name is Shinshu Roberts, and she often talks about taking our Dharma position, take our place. Norman Fisher's wonderful book, Take Our Place. What does it mean to take my place? You know, so as a teacher, when I sit down here on the, on the seat, What does it mean to sit down and take my place here? Part of what that means is recognize that I bring myself here, right? So all of the things that happened this morning and last night and throughout my life, like I'm bringing that into this moment. And and I want to be genuine with that, right? Like I want to actually be in the room with you. How many times have you been in situations where you're talking to someone or in a situation and you realize like, oh, that person's not even in the room. Or I'm not even in the room. So that's part of it, like to take my place. But then also like to just sort of settle into this place and meet all of this experience. You know, we have that lovely Genjo Koan of uh, to study the ways, to study the self, to study the self forget the self, to forget the self is to awaken by myriad things. So to meet myriad things, to just take my place and settle here and then meet this. And maybe I can stop giving the talk and we can give the talk. Sometimes I want to be really impressive and you know I struggle with that a little bit. Or, um, so I start giving the talk again. And then there's the physicality of this moment. What does it mean to pay attention to what's going on in my body? To really settle into, this is my body. With its white skin and its male appearance, with the assumptions that that holds. But also the physicality of it. Like I'm a fat guy. So that means that I move in a particular kind of way or I need support in other kinds of ways. And for a really long time, I thought, oh, I'm supposed to be skinny. So I you know, do all the things. And then I like, realized, well, maybe not. Maybe I just get to live in my body, and the more that I can live in my body, my body will sort of take on its own thing. And it'll be what it needs to be for itself. 
Just like I don't need to control my breath, right? My breath is always happening. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to do anything about it. You know, sometimes I'm really intimate with someone. Um, and I, I feel it a lot when I'm with people who are dying and, and we're sort of sitting together in the silence and all of a sudden our, our breaths align in that quiet. But I didn't adjust my breath to theirs. I don't know that they adjust. They're usually not responsive, so I can't ask them to do adjust your breath, but I don't think they did. I think there's something that happens in that interplay of interconnectedness in which all of our breaths align. And we just share this moment. So I don't have to... Like, when I leave my body alone and I just sort of pay attention to what the request is of my body, I start to notice things like, oh, your hips are really tight today. Maybe don't sit so much. Maybe get up out of that chair for a second and stretch a little bit. Oh, your shoulders are really bunched up. Maybe just take a minute to relax your chest. Soften your belly. But we, we fight our bodies so much. We are supposed to be somewhere. I'm not supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to, if I, if I have a headache, I need to take a pill and not realize that, like, the headache's caused because I slept crooked or because I didn't take care of myself last night and I didn't, or I, you know, I, uh, I've been cricking my neck all day. And if I just kind of relax for a minute, I don't have to do anything about my headache. Now, that's not always true. You know, like sometimes you need to take an aspirin. I used to um, think that it was a, a, a problem that I carry around a towel all the time because I, I have hot flushes. And, um, and, it, and it's a result of a chronic condition that I have. And so... And I used to be really embarrassed about it, and I'd like hide it in my sleeve, and I'd try to be really subtle about it, and I would never do it when I was sitting zazen. So I'd sort of be drenched. And then <laughs> somebody came up to me and was like, why are you fighting this thing? Like, you can't do anything about it. Just take care of yourself. It's like, oh, really? I could just take care of myself? You know, and I think Zen gets a bad rap because we think, oh, we sit still. Well, that works great on the days that I can sit still. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes the actual way for me to practice mindfulness and, and being settled is to take a walk. Um, I went, when I was at the monastery, I... I was pretty ill and I was really angry about being ill. <laughs> and, uh, and I would try to force myself into the zendo and, and just like, I would sit there and just be seething with anger and rage at myself and at my body and like I didn't like how I felt but I couldn't do anything about it and nothing was changing. And, and, I, um, and I went to have practice discussion and the lovely practice leader that I was working with kind of looked at me and she's like, you look really unhappy. And I said, well, I'm just so sick of this body, like being sick. And I'm sick of having to sit with it. And I'm, that's all anybody says is to sit with it, sit with it, sit with it. And she said, why don't you just go take a bath? It never, like, just don't sit with it. Like, take a fucking walk. Go take a bath. The baths are wonderful when you're all by yourself in there. Let me tell you. It's dark out, the stars are all out, and you're in the baths, and everybody else is sitting, and you can hear the sort of drums and everything going on. And it's just like, wow, oh my God. It's like the first time you ever sit in the baths at Tassajara, right? Like, the, just like, oh. But I was trying to be a good Zen student, right? I'm training. Mm. <laughs> just go take a walk. And don't fight with your body so much. It is what it is. And you're fighting with it's not going to change that. And then the mind. 
How do we make friends with our mind? Big clue for me was, Blanche said to me one day, minds think that's what their job is. Why do you want it to do something else? It's not its job. Let your mind do what it mind, what it's meant to do. Like, that's what it does. The idea is not like to... When they say drop away body and mind, doesn't mean that we don't have thoughts anymore. It doesn't mean we don't have bodies anymore. It just means that we get to relate to them in a different kind of way. Like, it's not a problem. You know, and for most of my life, what I thought the problem was isn't actually what the problem is. The problem's not my body. The problem's not my mind. The problem's not my emotions. The problem is, how am I relating to this? What's my relationship to it? Let your mind think. You can always come back to your moment in your breath. You don't have to be dragged off by it. You don't have to be married to that thought, but let it, th- let it be there. You know, and sometimes they're really fun. You know, like the fourth day of Sashin and you're hearing that story for the 18 millionth time and you're like, oh yeah, you again. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? There it is again. No, for me, it's always, nobody loves me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> they all hate me. They all think I'm a horrible person. Um, nobody wants to sit next to me. <laughs> it's ridiculous, some of the things my mind does. But when, I, when I'm adversarial, then it becomes a problem. And I could just go, oh yeah, there that story is again. Hi, there's that voice from the bullies in my high school. Oh, there's that story of the, there's that voice again, there's that tape again. <sighs> okay. I don't know anybody, and I know lots of people who sat for lots of time and who I think of as brilliant teachers and Zen masters and, you know, the enactment of Zen in Blanche's body was amazing when you just sort of stopped looking at her as a teacher but you just sort of watched her, you know. And when you're taking care of people, you know, that's sort of what you do, right? Like you just sort of... Because they do things that are annoying and, you know, you argue with them for the 900th time that it's okay for you to drive them to the doctor. They don't actually have to do it. And, no, it's really not a bother, and you know. So they become a person, and then you just start to watch their activity. And you start to see Zen in their life. Like, it's just them, you know? And, and all of a sudden, Blanche and I would be in the middle of some conversation about why it's really okay that I'm here, and blah, 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 blah. And then we just sort of look at each other and start laughing. Because we realized that we were both being ridiculous in that moment. And something releases and you just kind of go, oh yeah, I'm just me. I'm just this person in this life. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Like, how do I, how do I just be me? Because what I also started to see when I was just me was that it was a whole lot easier for me to let you just be you. You know, I, uh, I came out and sort of, of an age in which gay men sort of taught each other to have thick skins and so we were kind of bitchy with each other. I also spent a lot of time in high heels and dresses, which is really painful, so that makes you a little bitchy, too. <laughs> and, um, and what I started to realize was, is I didn't really want to, that's not how I wanted to be in the world, right? Like, I, I, I didn't want to not wear high heels and dresses, that was fine with me, but the bitchy part, right? 
Like I realize that I make judgments about people really quickly. And then I pour concrete on that judgment and that's who you are. And no matter what you do, that's who you are. And then I started to practice and you know that doesn't really work well with practice because I'm trying to not be my own version of that's who I am. <laughs> so there, and I wanted to not be an asshole. Like that was my biggest goal in practice. <laughs> can I just not Can I just not? <laughs> and so the more that I was okay with just, oh, that's how I feel today. That's how my body is today. That's what this experience is today. It was so much easier to just kind of be, oh, that's what you're doing today. Okay. That's what this moment is. Okay. Cool. Now, I'm not sure if I'm any less of an asshole. I'm better at not letting it come out my mouth. Oh, I started to say, I don't think any of those tapes go away, right? Like, I don't know that I will ever not have that thought, right? That witty retort that I think is really funny, but nobody else is going to think it's funny. <laughs> and more than likely, it's really mean. I don't know anybody for whom those, that experience goes away, right? Like, I think everybody still had, I think Blanche on the day she died still had those tapes that she had when she was a little girl. But she just related to them differently. She just picked them up in a different kind of way. Those things never go away, but can I relate to them differently? See, it's not about what I'm doing, it's how I'm doing it. What's my relationship to this? Can I just ease into my life? And I started to say earlier, Shinshu Roberts always talks about her Dharma position, and part of that is this ease with which you settle into the physical experience, the emotional experience, ease off of your mind, and allow both history and future to appear and not fall off the tongue. <laughs> Allow history and future to appear right here and find a way to settle into it, to, to let it be here. Because the real secret is enlightenment is just an appropriate response. We are Buddha nature, but Buddhahood is enacted. Buddhahood happens when we respond appropriately. And how do I find that way to respond appropriately? Is by being right here. Right here. My teacher's favorite line is experience the experience that you're experiencing it while you're experiencing it. Can you say that again? <laughs> experience the experience. You're experiencing it. Or, let me do that again. Experience the experience. You're experiencing while you're experiencing it. Sounds really easy, right? But then there's the machinations of our human nature, of our habits of mind of our training, of our socialization, of all of the traumas from our past. When I first started practicing, they used to, the instruction was always, follow your breath. I'm a trauma survivor who had my mouth blocked. Following my breath was impossible. And I spent eight years thinking, oh, God, I'm never going to get this because I can't follow my breath. Because as soon as I pay attention to my breath, it becomes short and short. And uh, 
I was ha- and it was early in my practice at Zen Center, and I was having a practice discussion with somebody, and um, I was a guest student, and the and the guy said, "Just pay attention to your feet, <laughs> or the sound outside. You don't have to follow your breath." Nobody said that to me. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, I could settle in my body because I, I could pay attention to my feet. They weren't a problem. I could pay attention to the, especially at City Center, they're really loud. Um, I could pay attention to the sound. Like, that was easy to follow. And slowly, that trauma started to heal, and I got to spend more and more time with my breath. You know? And I got to spend more and more time to feel it kind of leave my chest and throat and sink into my belly. Trauma didn't go away, but I related to it differently. And now when my breath gets short, I can go, oh, wait, is that, did something just happen? Did something just, was there a sound, was there a smell, was there something that just clicked that switch for a minute? Because I feel it, right? And so no longer, like, it's not a problem anymore. So I can just go, oh, wait, what was that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Soften up a little bit. Give it some space. You're okay. It's not 1981. 2017, 19. Okay, I'm here. Oh, I'm here. I'm right here. We have this wonderful mechanism at our disposal to just bring us into harmony, to bring us to liberation, to help us find that appropriate response in each moment. We can use that to our advantage. And all of the silly stuff we do here, the sitting meditation, the bowing, the walking around in funny postures and doing all the stuff that we do and put your robe on this way and, you know, uh, (laughs) it's a lot easier here than in other places. But, you know, like we we have our little habits here, right? All of that stuff just reminds us to come right back here. Meditation is just an invitation to come back to your body. For 35 minutes, sit down and just be you. Service. We bow, but we bow with our whole body. Just be you bowing. Oh, my back's really sore today. Then bow standing up. My head's really clogged. Okay, just nod your head. It's all just an invitation to come back to, where are you? Who are you? What are you? What's happening? Can I just keep meeting myself? And then once I'm good with that, It's so much easier to meet you. Like the less freaked out I am about my anger, your anger doesn't bother me. The less freaked out I am about my grief, your grief doesn't bother me. The less freaked out I am about my bitchy nature, the less your bitchy nature bothers me. So we stand up from our cushion and then we, in the words of my favorite words of Lou Hartman ever, and we just do that for 35 years. I'm going to end with a poem by a fabulous Buddhist poet who never liked being called a Buddhist poet. Uh, to the present tense by uh, W.S. Merwin. 
by the time you are, by the time you come to be, by the time you read this, by the time you are written, by the time you forget, by the time you are water through fingers, by the time you are taken for granted, by the time it hurts, by the time it goes on hurting, by the time there are no words for you, by the time you remember but without the names, by the time you are in the papers and on the telephone, passing unnoticed there too. Who is it to whom you come, before whose eyes you are disappearing without making yourself known? Thank you all very much. Do we have time for questions? So now we get to play Stump the Monk. <laughs> it's my favorite game. And you win glorious cash and prizes. Yeah. Tell me your name. Tracy. Tracy. It takes a lot of trust, doesn't it, to get to that place where it's okay. Where you're starting, where you're, if you need to be in a relationship, it's not adversarial. Mm. I don't know that it's trust. Mm. I think it's, you kind of, you get, I don't know about anybody else. My experience is the more that I fucked it up, and the more I figured out that when I fuck it up, I didn't die, yeah. it just became easier yeah. to get it. Like, like it, I just kept getting closer and closer to the mark. Like, screwing it up's not a problem. It's what, how I respond when I screw it up. You know, I do a lot of work with anti-racist stuff and I'm doing patriarchy and um, other activist work. And, um, you know, and people come up to me because I've said something or done something really egregious in their eyes and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not. But either way, I'm still sorry. I can still apologize. I can still acknowledge like, oh yeah, I fucked that up. I did... Let me, so here's how I'm going to do it better next time, right? Like that's what a real apology is. When you go, oh yeah, I'm really sorry. And here's how I'm going to do it better next time. That's an apology, not like, oh, I'm sorry you hurt. Maybe you should sit with it more. That, that's a good way of putting it, but you also said it took 18 million times. Yeah. Fall down seven times, get up eight. And you're never going to get it right, so you might as well just keep trying. We take these impossible vows to save all beings, to do only good. Like, we're ne never to kill. Like, you know. We're never going to... We kill people's spirit all the time, right? Like, there's all kinds of ways that we kill each other over and over and over again. We're never going to get it right. But I just keep doing it better the next time. I let that stuff move me to a different relationship to myself and to the world. And I just keep getting moved more and more, over and over and over again. Screwing it up's not a problem. It's what I do after. Again, it's not what I'm doing. It's how do I respond. What's the, what's the follow-up? Yeah. I don't know that it's trust, because I think that if we put it, label it as trust, then it becomes impossible, because I don't trust anybody. That's not a skill that I learned. <laughs> well, you developed some confidence that you, you weren't going to die by letting yourself be with right. your distress and your grief and your... Right, absolutely. And so it's, I, I have faith in the practice. I have faith in the in my experience that I've had so far and that uh, yeah I, I, but it's not it's not trust it's, it's just experience yeah. you know yeah. I don't I, you know I've been working with Paul since 2003 and I still don't trust him <laughs> I know I, I, like you know yeah it's just <laughs> I don't trust anybody really yeah. all the way because we're people we're going to screw it up like 
I don't want anybody to trust me so much that I can't fuck it up. Right? We put our teachers or our, our leaders in these positions where we give them all of this trust which, which they can't live up to. And then they are a person and they hurt us. And then it's a problem. Where if you just let them be people and yeah, they're, you know, take your place. I need, I need to rely on you to take your place. But on the days you can't, it's not really a big deal because I'm still in my place. We're going to screw it up. All of us. So, yeah, you don't have to trust anybody. Just, this is the path. And it's always there. Even when I don't want it to be. Yes, and then... You know. I was curious about uh, one of my... Reflecting on this, I, I think one of the things I do is I'm highly critical of uh, when I uh, fail to do something up to a standard I have. In other words, mm-hmm. a perfectionist sort of mm-hmm. nature. How does that play into your sort of view that when you're aware of like, you, uh, self-criticism or when mm-hmm. you're aware that you fuck something up... <laughs> You know how hard you are on yourself about it, or moving forward. You know that's that's kind of my thing. Sometimes, like for example, I know it's a stupid example, but my wife left town this week, and she had these beautiful lilies sitting on the table. And for some reason, I just didn't notice them, so I failed to water them. So mm-hmm. when my wife got home, she's like, "Oh, I had to throw out the lovely flowers because you failed to water them." And instead of, I'm like, I mean, but no, I mean, you know, she wasn't trying to make me feel bad, but right. she said, but it was more the thing of like. You know, like I gave myself, mm-hmm. I really pounded myself. I was yeah. kind of surprised at how hard I was on myself mm-hmm. for failing to water the plants. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's that kind of, I, she wasn't trying to make me feel bad. She's like, you know, it's, it's more your heart on yourself. That's, I guess. What I don't know thinking. anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we all have these expectations of ourselves. And part of what we have to develop is to recognize that it's never going to get perfect. It's never, like, I am never going to be that person. Like, I, I, you know, I take these vows, and I started using my name so that I always remembered my vows, and it would be in the forefront of my life, and, you know, all of this stuff, and I, I work really hard to sort of be a particular kind of way in the world. You know, and, but you just start to accept the fact that that's never going to actually be me. Right? Like, I'm never as witty as I think I am. I'm not, you know, the most fantastic order in the world. And, you know, like, I'm just me. And I just kind of do my best. And I got, and I'll tell you, being a doan is really helpful for that because you're sort of publicly screwing up repeatedly. (laughs) And everybody knows it. (laughs) Because if you've been around for, like, you know, a month, you know how the things go, right? Like, you... And you know when something's off, and so you screw it up, and it's very public. And it, when you're doing it at Tassahara, like it's sixty people who not only know it, but like you're trapped in the valley with them, so <laughs> you can't ever escape. You're screwing it up. But I got really lucky. I got taught to be a doan by a guy who was like, "Look." Do it and practice, and yes, absolutely, do the best you can. But you're never going to get it right. There's the form, and then there's what happens. So just get used to what happens and keep trying to go for the form. So there was a hand back there, and then back there, and then here. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Tell me your name. Cameron. Cameron? Yes. Okay. Uh, Like? being in your body as you are, you said, um, why not likewise occasionally say the mean or snarky or asshole thing? Or is there ever a time when being yourself in your body is the same as also fucking it up? Yeah. Always. 
But I'll also say, and yeah, sometimes being an asshole is the right thing to do. Right? We live in a time in which we have to really resist some of the damage that's being done. Right? Like yesterday, there were demonstrations all over the country. We, you know, we live in a time in which real suffering is happening. Real people are being killed. Trans women on the regular are dying. So sometimes you need to be an ass, and you need to stand up and say, fuck you, you can't do that. That's not okay. Right? So yeah, sometimes being snarky and, and an asshole is really important. But how you know when it's the time to be an asshole and when it's not the time to be an asshole is by paying attention first to yourself and then what's happening here and being fully in this moment. When you can fully arrive. Because sometimes it's really important to just go, no, you just got to sit here. Right? I spent a sashim seven days. Every time I sat on the cushion, I started, I'd burst out crying. And then we'd stand, the bell would ring and we'd stand up and the tears would just stop. And we'd go about doing it and then we'd sit back down and I'd burst out crying. And not the pretty like little quiet tears down the side of the cheek crying, like the snot, you know, like the whole thing that was really horrific and you never want to see anybody do uh, You never want anyone to see you doing that in public. But really, I needed to just sit and do that. Right? It wasn't about... Because sometimes you need to be in the midst of your own suffering to get through it, to, to just experience your suffering. It's not always the case, but how do you know when's the right time and when's not the right time? Is to be present and, and listen. My teacher, uh, his other favorite line, which often annoys me because he says it at times when I don't want to hear it, is, uh, what's your practice ask of you? Right? What's the, pra- what's the practice of this moment? Sometimes it's like, yeah, just sit here. And sometimes it's, don't make that comment. And you, you kind of have to let go of whether or not you're going to screw it up and worry more about, can I just be here for the whole experience, which also means the results of whatever choice I make. Whatever response I gave, I need to stick around long enough to have the response. Right? So that's how you, like, that's, did that answer your question? Was that getting close to your question? I guess it was getting close. I guess I was just curious about even more mundane situations than, like, um, egregious violence. Mm. You know the right thing to do if you're settled. And we know when we're settled, right? Like every, you know that feeling. I think we've all had those moments too with people, right? Like you're in conversation with someone and and just the right words get said by both of you and it's just this sort of, sometimes it's with a friend or sometimes it's with your partners or whatever, but you just have that moment of like real intimacy, right? You're both really there. And all the right words, and at least for me, I would walk away from those moments and think, where did that come from, right? Because I would say things that I didn't necessarily invent. You know, like it was just, it came from somewhere else. And so part of it is to learn how to settle into each moment. And it is really mundane, you know, like it, it is like stopping at a stop sign, right? Like that's an enlightened experience when you stop at a stop sign because it's an appropriate response. We think that all of them have to be these big, great things, right? We're sitting with our teacher and they say all these wise things or <clears throat> have these you know, mind-blowing experiences. But it's as mundane as like, oh, my kid just fell down and I need to you know, hold them for a second. Or I stop at a stop sign because that's the right thing to do. So it is, it's the same thing, whether it's a big thing or a little thing. It's always the same thing, which is to just settle into the experience of the moment. And then let your, something other than your mind tell you how to respond, right? Like, can I not be dragged around by the experience, but 
settle into something and let the experience respond. And it just comes from practice. That's the great thing about Sashin and why we go on Ongos and spend three months or six months at, out in the mountains and you know, come, come together in these long retreats and stuff is so that we can start to, when you sit on a regular basis, this is the funny thing. If you just practice sitting on a regular basis, whether here or at home, it sort of accumulates, right? So the settledness accumulates. It just becomes easier for me to like stop, you know, like that pause happens sooner because it's, I'm already kind of settled. So that's why we sit. We say sit, 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 sit. It's because the more you do it, sort of, you know, it accumulates. And if you stop sitting, <laughs> you know, you can see yourself kind of losing that accumulated experience. Bruce. Uh, so first I just wanted to say that was a great promo for the, the Monday Doan training. It's like, come and mm -hmm. learn to be publicly My question is actually kind of related to that. I, I was thinking that a number of times during your talk you, you were saying things like, well, that, this is just that body, and this is just me. I'm messing up again. I'm, I'm never going to get it right. I'm never going to get it right. And it, it really struck me that in, somewhere in there, there's this very subtle but profound turning. Like, those words can easily lead to despair. I mean, right. that, that's the language of, de of depression. I'm mm -hmm. never going to get it right. I'm never. This is terrible. Right. right? But you're presenting it in a way where there's some kind of release and relief to that. And I'm wondering if you could talk to how it is that, that that fork in the road operates. I don't think it's a fork in the road. The truth is, is I'm never going to get right also means that I'm always going to get better. I can keep getting better. Like, if I, if I stop expecting myself to always get it right, I just have to get, get better, right? Like, I just have to do my best and then learn from this thing and then get better, right? So the first time I ever walked into a room as a chaplain and had to meet somebody, I don't know that it was the best experience for either one of us. But, you know, I've done it over and over and over and over. And I get better and better and better. And, you know, the first talk I ever gave in public was probably shit. But you just kind of do it over and over and over and over and it just kind of... You just keep getting better. And try not to believe the hype that, that, that like, oh, that was so great, right? Like, people come up and, oh, that was because you said the perfect thing or whatever. Like, you also try to have to not buy the hype, right? And think, like, oh, wow, I'm sort of, a, I'm, I'm really good at this, right? I always want to be nervous. I always want to feel a little kind of like anxiety before I walk into the room with somebody or before I sit down on this cushion. I got that. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point you've got to drop the, drop the anxiety, drop the agenda, drop it all and just be here, right? Like you got to just, like it's okay to be anxious, but then you just got to do it, Right? So that's where the, that's, that's the antidote to the depression and the despair is, you know, I'm just, I'm continually getting better. Since I'm never going to get it right, I might as well just do my best, you know. And then you get in and, and you know, and then somebody else, when you're on the dawn reel, and then somebody else makes the mistake and, <laughs> and you just kind of have to figure out what, how to respond to that mistake over there, you know. And, and make sure that, you know, okay, we're going to keep, keep moving forward. So it's really just, like, dropping that agenda. And I saw something over here. Was there somebody over here who was... Okay, I thought I saw something in my peripheral vision. Lots of men asking questions. <laughs> okay, so, and then... Tell me your name. Jeremy. Jeremy. 
my experience with, you know, the practice of seeing, you know, yourself getting better, um, you know, encouragement, it's encouraging to see it, right? You know that you're, you're better now and that, to me, it's, it's uh, what's the, what's the use of living life when you don't, you're not going to get any better in the future, right? Mm -hmm. What's the challenge? It's, it's you know, it's not, it's going to be boring. Like, you think you're perfect now, mm -hmm. what's the challenge in, in you know, in your life? It's right. to make yourself better for me, you know? And my re-adjustment of being critical on myself is like, was it, I changed it to, why is that bad? Why, why being critical on myself bad? It's not, it's, it's like looking on myself and making myself Whenever I'm dragged around by anything, it's not necessarily helpful. So whether it's self-criticism or, you know, I once had a friend tell me that uh, self-centeredness isn't what you think of yourself, it's just how often. <laughs> right? Because I, and I, trust me, I have a really heavy ego that, you know, sometimes my shit don't stink. And, I'm sorry, I went to another thing, but... Um, <laughs> And then other times, like, I'm the worst piece of shit in the world. Both of those are just self-centered. Both of those are, like, uh, going to drag me around, right? So the important thing is to just not be dragged around by any of it. None of it's bad. How I respond to it's bad. And the other thing I wanted to say was, um, and it's also, like, it, work, it works except on the days that it doesn't, you know? Like, some days, I'm just, I'm still an asshole, Right, and I still do. I'm still me, right? And those things still happen. And and the important piece for me is to not think that that is any more solid than the me who's sitting here right now, feeling all chill and you know, like neither of those are really me. That's the important piece. None of that is me. Just like none of what you're doing is you just the expression in this moment. Um, just one of you, if you have any tips for how to distinguish between effort and struggle. And Tell me your name first. My name is Anne. Hi. Hi. Pay attention. For me, she asked if what's the difference between effort and struggle? Or how do you know the difference? And for me, it's, it's paying attention. Effort is easy. There's an ease and a gentleness to it. It's like, oh, no, no, just stay here. You don't have to run. It's okay. Struggle is you will stay here until you bleed, right? <laughs> like, there's, this, there's this energy and sort of anxiety with it, right? But effort is easy. Effort is effortless. It sounds like there's a certain energy around Different. Yeah, it's a different way that it feels, energe like energetically, but also it's how it's in, how it is in my body too. Like, uh, struggle is tight, like I'm crunched up, right? Effort is spacious. My body's, you know, relaxed. I can breathe. I'm, you know, and like, struggle is my mind is going 900 miles an hour because I'm trying to make sense and make uh, a plan for how I'm going to do whatever it is that I need to get done. Effort is just like, oh, okay, just here. Next. The next obvious thing, right? And you just kind of keep going to the next obvious thing. And it, so there's a way in which it's a little more spacious, a little more gentle, a little more easy versus struggle, which has so much kind of sharpness and tenseness and, and um, yeah, and the mind is, and my heart is, you know, like the whole thing is just like, <laughs> I think of the guardian deities, right? <laughs> Hi. Hi. My name's Maureen. And I, Hi, um, Maureen. I, I resonated with what you talked about with a judgment, and, you know, I make a judgment, and then I pour concrete on it, mm -hmm. and there's no way that, you know, I'd like, mm. yeah. and, and then you said, you know, I do it with myself. And 
So I wondered, um, do, you, do you have thoughts or advice about mm -hmm. uh, how, how to manage that? You know, so is there stuff when you think, uh oh, born that country, Don, or, you know, mm -hmm. or, oh, you know, that person's different? Because it seems like noticing different is just like mm -hmm. a human deal, like, oh, difference. Right. But then it's like different and bang. Right. And so, just some thoughts about that. I think a lot changes when you start to notice it. Just in the noticing, right? Like, any time that you can notice, oh, look. Like, you know, we all grow up with an idea of who our parents are, right? And then we're convinced by that story, and then that's who that person is for the rest of your life. Right? And as an adult you realize like, oh wait, they're actually complete people. And... But you still have that story about who they are. You've, you know, you've spent years pouring concrete on that idea, good or bad. And what happens for me is that when I notice like, oh wait, I've locked her into that idea. Like there's an ease off of that that gives me enough space that I can like, sneak in there with, and maybe she's not. Or maybe it's different. And, and, and so, I can ease, like, just the noticing gives me enough space to do something different. So just, like, I mean, I think about it in terms of when you notice yourself distracted in zazen. Just the noticing often brings me right back here. Oh, wait, I was off and never, never. Okay, let me come right back. Right? So, um, and, then, and then sometimes it's important to just kind of notice and then sort of go, does that need a response right now? Is there a request embedded in what's happening? Right? Like with the person I'm judging. Right. Is there a request from myself or from this situation or from my judgment that needs to be dealt with? So, you know, listen for requests. But know that your practice speaks very softly. Your intention speaks very softly. So the more settled, the more quiet you can be, the more likely it is that you'll hear that answer. So, you know, I think we all are working really hard to do our best. We all want to be this person, right? We have this idea of who we want to... Whether we've taken vows or not, we're all living according to vows. How we get there is to pay attention to that quiet voice, that voice that says, oh, you don't really want to say that thing. Because you're just going to feel like shit in about an hour when they walk away. Worse yet, if they did something and you know, they sort of screwed up across the boundary or something, and then you were an asshole, and you have to go and apologize for being an asshole, even though what they did was egregious, and there's nothing worse than having to apologize to somebody when you're right. <laughs> and I do it a lot <laughs> you know because I don't I don't know about anybody I don't want to I can't sleep with that stuff on me right like I can't so then I have to deal with it I have to keep that clean so you know I have to go back and go hey you know I was a real asshole to you yesterday and that's not how I want to be and in the future I'm going to try and be a little more kind can you forgive me Without the expectation that they then go, oh well, I you know, like you know that they then have to apologize to me, I just have to keep my side of the street. But often it's it's that quiet, paying attention, and just the noticing will often bring it to where it needs to be. Thank you. Would, it, would it be fair to summarize your teaching? Says, let bygones be bygones. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm going to use that from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably would be. And I'm now sorry, that's mine now. <laughs> You're gonna hear it on a talk somewhere else. And... <laughs> Anyone else? We have one last one, I think. Oh, in the back. Hi, Pat. I can't. Oh, now I can see you. Okay, hi. Um, you made a, a, a quick little comment, though. I wanted to see if you, and maybe I didn't hear it right, but I thought you said something about the, 
When you make your vows, I mean, I assume that little quick vows, you put your name in them. No, my name is Digon, Great Val. Oh, okay. And the reason I use my name, so when I moved into Zen Center and got lay ordained, Paul gave me that name. And I started school, so I wasn't working in the temple. And I was out most of the day, and I would come back. And I wanted something to sort of connect me to practice while I was off doing the stupidity of thinking I needed more degrees. Um, <laughs> and so that's when I, because actually my name is Daigon Etsudo, and normally you would use your second name. But in the conversation, Paul and I said, well, let's use Daigon because that puts your, like that's great vow. That puts your vow first, which is what you're trying to do, right? And it actually works because when people use my, like when you, people call me by my name, like I think about, like, it just registers as vow. And I instantly go, am I, like, where am I? <laughs> you know, like, on the scale of, you know, asshole to enlightened. <laughs> where am I? <laughs> so, yeah, that, it's, it's uh, I use my name because I want to put my vow first. Well, I really appreciate you all. I hope you stick around for the workshop tonight or today. And, um, and I just appreciate uh, being here and ho being hosted. And uh, I hope it's not another five years before I come back again. <laughs>